0: Hey everyone, this is Cameron and we are starting another week in our devotional series through John. This week we have opted to just sort of focus our time on just one chapter. Typically we've done two or three, four chapters, uh, but we thought it'd be kind of nice to just focus on chapter 17, the high priestly prayer, Jesus's prayer specifically for his disciples and for the disciples that were to follow and come later, which includes us. It's super interesting, but more than that, it's super encouraging to hear the Lord Jesus himself and his prayers to the Father for us. And so, uh, again, the plan is just to read and reread and reread through this chapter. Uh, Maybe read it once a day, read it three times a day, whatever you have time for, just to continue to press it into your mind and heart. Um, And we will have a, a couple of devotionals this week shared through this podcast. First up we've got John Barry Van Hoogen. You got to hear from his wife, Jessie, last week, and now John Barry is going to uh, share with us from the first section of Jesus's High Priestly Prayer in chapter 17. I uh, hope you enjoy.
1: Hey guys, um, this is John Barry. If, if you don't know me, I'm I'm married to Jessie, who's the Children's Ministry Coordinator at Door of Hope Northeast. Uh, we've been plugged in at Door of Hope for almost two years now, so so not that long, but that time has been been rich. We really, we really love this family. I'm a, I'm a full-time missionary of sorts, so I I, end up, I spend a lot of my time writing and communicating with uh, pastors in different places around the world. Uh, in fact, up until just a few weeks ago, I had a couple trips planned uh, for the summer to Brazil and Tanzania, but we've, we've obviously had to postpone those. It's been a really uh, strange and difficult few weeks, as I'm sure you know. I, I, I really hope that you're doing well, uh, that you're safe, healthy, well-fed, well-sheltered. I also hope that you have hope. As a lot of the previous podcasts have emphasized, there's always reason to rejoice. And I don't mean that it's always easy to rejoice, uh, but that's why Scripture and and these chances to be encouraged together have hopefully helped. I know they, they have for me. These past few weeks have been filled with a whole range of emotions. And if I can say it carefully without ignoring the... Um, the very real difficulty that many uh, are facing, and maybe many of you are facing, one of the emotions that I have found myself experiencing has been excitement. I, I really miss gathering with you guys. It's, it's possible I didn't realize how much I love worshiping with you until I was told that I couldn't. Um, I appreciate technology that allows us to connect in different ways, but as hopefully we all recognize, it's just not the same. I'm the kind of guy that will sit and chat over coffee for four hours, um, but I don't want to be on the phone for any amount of time if I, if I can help it. Um, I really just miss being together. And I think that's where the excitement comes in, because we will. I, I pray it's really soon, but one of, those, one of these days we are going to gather again. I, I actually was on a long drive just a few days ago, and I was listening to some pretty uh, awesome worship music, and I admit... I started crying on multiple separate occasions thinking about the celebration we're going to have. That first Sunday back is going to be awesome. It's going to be like like nothing else. We know that God is working all things together for good. And I can't help but assume that that is one of those good things he's working on. The joy of worshiping him together again is going to be magnified a thousand times by all of this uncertainty and, and suffering and um, and just missing each other, I think that's actually kind of what heaven's going to be like. Um, like finally, finally, we can all we can all be together, gathered around the throne of Jesus, worshiping our guts out. It's it's going to be it's going to be sweet. So when this virus passes and, and we're able to gather again, let's just remember to practice enjoying each other and worshiping together, like we will one day. In heaven. And to the extent that we can um, replicate some of that togetherness uh, in this kind of strange in between time when we have to um, be apart, uh, then then we should. And maybe this is one of those examples when we can do this uh, around this study of of John. I've really appreciated it. Um, Hopefully, you've been listening. I won't review everything that's been said or where we're at exactly. Cameron asked me to cover uh, John 17 1 through 5. This is. Often called the high priestly prayer, it's just the it's the first record. I'm sorry, the longest recorded prayer of of Jesus to the Father. And um, I always thought of this prayer. If if anyone would ask me, I always thought this prayer is something that Jesus probably did alone, which is what we often see when Jesus prays. He goes off uh, to be alone with the Father to pray. Uh, But at least in the text, there's no indication that this wasn't. Right in front of the disciples, I think he's just given them a lot of instruction that ended there at the end of um, chapter 16, and it just says after he said all these things, he he began to pray. And so, um, just thinking how cool that would be to be one of those disciples uh, sitting and 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 listening to that, and um, and so we get to glimpse that a little bit as well. Let's let's read it though. Um, let's read John 17, one to five. Sorry, I'm just turning that myself. Jesus spoke these things, looked up to heaven, and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, so that the Son may glorify you, since you gave him authority over all flesh, so that he may give eternal life to everyone you have given him. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. I have glorified you on the earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father... Glorify me in your presence with that glory that I had, with that glory I had with you before the world existed. Let me just acknowledge that this is a really hard passage to read. Um, anytime we try to talk about the, the Trinity, uh, things are going to get a little fuzzy. And this prayer is sort of pulling the veil back and letting us peek into that mystery of the Trinity. Uh, there's, a, there's a meme. I'm not usually a big meme guy, but a friend was showing me one. I think back when I didn't know what memes were, and he was trying to give me an example. And apparently there's a, a whole series of Jesus memes. And one of them is a picture of Jesus kneeling with his hands folded in prayer. And he's he's looking up and it reads, Are you there, Dad? It's me, you. Now, when I first saw that, it really struck me funny. And I, I think the reason is just because it's such a clever and simple way of expressing exactly what is difficult about this prayer. I mean, if Jesus is God... And he's praying to God. Is he praying to himself? Now, it's kind of a silly question, and we're not going to try and answer that. At least I don't know how to make that part of it easier. What I think it is, is if this, this passage hopefully shows us that no matter how fuzzy or confusing the Trinity is, hopefully what we can get see is that it, it really is beautiful. And what we have here, just on the surface, what we have is a father and a son concerned about each other's glory. As it relates to the rest of the prayer, I think uh, these first five verses give us a sort of thesis. Everything Jesus prays here is expanded on in the rest of the prayer, um, but in these first five verses, Jesus begins and he ends with a desire to be glorified in verse one and five. Verse five, he wants to be glorified in the Father's presence. Now, if we can just glimpse that this relationship for a second, for the Son to be apart from the Father it's not right. He wants to be back to where he was similar, I think, to this separation that we're feeling right now. It's not right to be apart. It really, actually, it's probably on this basis that God said back in in the very beginning, Genesis uh, chapter two, he said, it's not good for man to be alone. And then he presents Eve to Adam. if, If I can be so bold as to say, it's not good for man to be alone, I think in part, because it's not good for God to be alone. Now, I know that's a weird thing to say, but actually, I think the Trinity just makes sense of this by stating that God has always existed in a relationship. He's always been a relational God. He didn't become relational when we were created. It's always been one God in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in a perfect unity, a triunity. Now, I know the math doesn't work out. Luckily, this isn't a math class, and we're not going to try and solve that problem. I think the key is, and the part I really want to emphasize Maybe it's expressed a little better a few verses later, uh, in 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 John seventeen twenty four. He says, "Father, you have loved me before the world's foundation." Um, that's a really that's a really cool statement. Really profound. If we can just meditate on that for a little while. Um, if I can recommend a book, it's called "Delighting in the Trinity." It's by Michael Reeves. It's a great little book. It's it's not too long. Or it's not too academic. Um, it really is a delight to read. And I'm not saying necessarily that it's easy or even simple, but he does the best job I know of. And granted, I'm, I'm, I'm admittedly um, not very well read, uh, but he does the best job I know of, of making the Trinity a, a beautiful truth and one that isn't just that strange doctrine that we avoid talking about because we don't understand it. But anyways, he's he's commenting on this verse, 1724. And he says, that is the God revealed by Jesus Christ before he ever created, before he ever ruled the world, before anything else, this God was a father loving his son. So just to come back to our situation for a minute, if, if you, like me, if you're even surprised by how much you miss being with God's family, I think there's something about that that reflects this father-son relationship of, of the Trinity, to be separated from God and God's family, it's just not right. So I just hope that during this time of distance that we maintain a, a deep longing to be together because right absence makes the heart grow fonder, or at least it should. So verses uh, 1 and 5, Jesus is praying for shared glory and to be reunited with the Father. Verse 2 and 4 emphasize that this temporary separation was for a particular work. The father sent the son with a job to do, and Jesus did it. Uh, what, so, what was that job? Um, There's probably a lot of things. It was it was to exercise the father's authority, which was given to him in verse two, and that authority was a life giving authority to give eternal life. In verse four, Jesus says he's done this work, and and particularly he emphasizes, which I think is needy, he emphasizes that this is a work that was given to him to do. And then by doing it, he's glorified the Father. So to Jesus, to glorify the Father is, is to be obedient to the Father, to accomplish the Father's mission ultimately by, by giving eternal life. Um, I want to point out too, I just want to point out that Jesus is praying for glory. Nowhere in the verse actually does it say that Jesus has glory. He's, he's praying for it. He had it before. And he's asking to receive it again, but whatever glory was his was set aside for a time. His whole ministry, his whole earthly ministry has been to glorify the Father to us, to present him as the way to the Father. In fact, he 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 jumps right into this in the, in the following verse, in verse six, he says, I have revealed your name to the people you gave me. So his whole ministry has been to reveal the Father to us. Um, That's been his primary concern. I think this is really cool because anything true, anything true about real loving relationships, things like sacrifice and and caring for the other person's happiness and glory before your own, all of those things have been demonstrated for us in the Trinity, in the relationship between the Father and the Son. Um, Yes, the Son gave his life for us. But he gave his life for the Father first. This is, this is true love. And it's always existed within God. Um, but Jesus' ultimately, Jesus glorification is, is still to come. So in one way, I think we have to think about the cross as Jesus' glorification. That's when he is finally exalted and lifted up, and um, it's kind of an ironic, backwards, twisted kind of exaltation, but I think that's actually what the story wants us to see. In another way, though, if we remember back to the first half of the first half of chapter sixteen, uh, which my super hot wife shared with you guys a, a couple podcasts ago, uh, there Jesus is saying that the Holy Spirit is going to come, and he says in verse uh, fourteen, he says, "He will glorify me." So the the Father sent the Son to glorify the Father, uh, and the Son sends the Holy Spirit to glorify the Son. And who's in the middle of all of it? We are. I don't mean that it's all about us. It's it's not. It's it's definitely not. It's all about God's glory, and it's it's always been about God's glory. Um, but we are in the middle of it. We're caught up in this. And uh, the so the only verse we haven't looked at is verse 3, and, and it tells us, what this eternal life is that Jesus has to give. Um, And let me just point out the obvious. Jesus isn't talking simply about just living forever. I think that's what we often latch on to, at least as a kid, that's what I latched on to. never dying or continuing on for eternity. And that's definitely true. But I think the emphasis is actually on the life part. He says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. The goal goal of Christ's work has less to do with making sure we live forever and more to do with who we live forever with. God is the giver of life, so to truly live is to be with him. So the reason for all this talk about the, the Trinity and the mysteriously beautiful relationship between the Father and the Son is because this is the relationship that we were made for and that we're now being drawn into. The Father loves the Son, the Son loves the Father, and it's a love that's so beautiful and so eternal uh, that they want to share it. And because we because we've sinned and we've separated ourselves from God by our sin, uh, the Son must separate himself from the Father to come and rescue us. But in fact he must he, he's got to go the whole distance. And uh, the cross I think is actually what represents just how separated from God we are. And he does it, he dies. In fact, I think the most profound moment of separation, it's yes, his body is being physically killed, um, but there's a moment when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There's a point at which the father turns his back on the son, Um, that's the separation, that's the moment, that's the key moment, I think, um, that represents how far we've gone and how far Jesus had to go to get us. so he, But he does it. He dies. Uh, and ultimately, he, he raises the life so that he can give us his spirit. And it's the spirit of God that we receive by faith in Jesus that unites us and reconciles us to God. We are being brought back into relationship with the giver of life. That's why it will never die. And this is why we hope. This is why we don't fear death. Because to live is Christ and to die is gained. To die is, as Paul thought, was just to be with the Lord. This is why we don't fear sickness, because the worst it could do is kill us, but it can't separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Um, so I, I'm I'm jumping ahead just a little bit. Um, but I want you to look at how Jesus concludes this prayer. I, I, probably because Jesus says this way better than, than I could. Um, verse... Verse 26, he says, I made your name known to them and will continue to make it known so that the love you have loved me with, there it is, the eternal love of the Father and the Son, so that the love you have loved me with, that love may be in them and I may be in them. So, if anything, I hope that the Trinity, I hope that this weird exchange that we're we try to sometimes philosophize about, and we, we wrestle with what this means, that Jesus praying to God, and who's God, and what's going on here. Um, I hope it's not—I conf- mean, it's okay if it's confusing, but I hope it's not scary. I hope it's beautiful, because this is the relationship. We're getting glimpsing the relationship that is ultimately ours, and, and, and that's great. That's beautiful. So when we think of these circumstances we're in right now, since we're made in God's image and we're made for a relationship with him and because we're being conformed ultimately more and more into the image of, of his son, uh, then we should see these same things reflected in our own desires. So like I said, to be separated from each other isn't right. We were called into union with Christ and with each other. So to be apart, while it's entirely necessary at times, especially times like this, I'm not, I'm not complaining or, or thinking that we should start complaining. I'm just acknowledging that to be apart it should provoke in us a greater love and desire for each other. And our primary concern, like Christ, should be to glorify God by doing his work. So during this time of separation, there's a job to do. I think that we can think of that in both ways. During this time of separation from the the perfection of God's presence, we're not fully in God's presence. We will be one day, but we're not. We're separated from God's perfect presence. And during that time, there's a job to do. We're here because he wants us to be part of drawing more people to himself. And I I think maybe that that could be also true of this time of separation we're experiencing from each other. Um, That maybe God's doing something. Maybe he's wanting to to teach us something or to refine us in such a way that we um, use this as an opportunity to draw more people uh, to himself. So let's not waste this time. Let's Let's use it. Let's see. What is it that God wants to do um, in us? How does he want to comfort us and, and, to, and to teach us? But ultimately, what does he want to do with that to, to draw more people to himself? Well, God is ultimately glorified uh, when more people know him. So while we wait to be reunited, let's tell people about him. When the world around us is groaning about sickness and death, let's talk about the one who bore our sickness on the cross. And who actually died in our place. Uh, let's be comforted by that. Let's let's rest in that and find our hope in that and and then let's tell people about it. Let's pray. God, uh, we thank you. Just thinking about who you are and, and who you've been for eternity and the distance you've gone, the humiliation you've suffered to love us and draw us into your eternal life and your eternal love. It's too much. It's too much. I, I pray you'd remind us of this always, um, that no matter the difficulty or the suffering that we face, that we are yours. And there's no suffering that we'll endure uh, that you don't know and that you haven't ultimately defeated. So remind us of the hope we have and, and put that hope on our on our lips so we can tell this this hopeless world that we live in about you.